You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Good morning. We've got a full house. Everybody, for the first time in a while, we have Mark, Tristan, Towner, Caitlin, and Patrick. Patrick, no baby yet? No baby yet. Uh, Caitlin's at the doctor right now. Kids are watching a movie, but we're uh, this is the final countdown. I suspect that this time next week on the podcast, I won't be present, but you'll have uh, an announcement if you choose to make it. So. All right, and, and you've promised me that if Caitlin goes into labor, during the podcast, you'll finish the podcast, of course. Well, it depends on if our Republican colleagues are making me crazy with something they're saying. She might have to hold on for a second. But okay. Hey, Patrick, we, will, we, we are pro-family. We're pro-family. We're pro-family. Yes. <laughs> so a, a ton to talk about today, guys. Um, State of the Union this week. And obviously, Ukraine is, is raging. Uh, but let's start with... Uh, State of the Union. Tristan, last week you laid out what you were looking for from the president. Were your expectations met? Did you like what you heard? Tell us what you thought. Was he Joe from Scranton or Joe from Washington? Right. Tristan's term of the week, presidential is what it was. Oh, he was he was president. Well, that would be good since he is the president. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's the thing. We were waiting for this moment to happen. We were waiting for him to show up um and be the Joe Biden that we that we know him to be. I, I think he was I think he was both, Patrick. I think he was Joe, he was Joe from Scranton, but he also was Joe from Washington. Like he understands that he has to be. Uh, the president and he has to lead, but he also has to be human. He was strong on the international stage. He made, you know, firm threats and he was committed to, you know, holding Putin accountable or as my grandmother would call him Putin. I have no idea why she pronounced that Putin. Um, (laughs) She would hold Putin accountable. Um, He was strong on domestic policy. You know, he actually was the moderate Joe that that he ran to be. You know, a lot of Democrats didn't like his comments about policing. You know, Republicans are jumping on the fact of him talking about securing the border. He, I mean, he came and he was actually the president that we voted him to be. Like he he was he was the middle of the road guy. You know, you, you're going to disagree with him on the on the Democratic side. You're going to disagree with him on the Republican side. But I'm always going to shoot it straight. And he shot it straight to the American people. And so I'm glad that we finally got something to run on. But at the end of the day, how can we get something done? Is it Was it enough to push Congress to put his policies in place? And it is enough to get votes for certain pieces of legislation. That's going to have to play out in the next couple of months. But all in all, um, he was Joe Scranton. He, he was uh, influential. He was presidential. And I loved every single word that he said. Strong start, strong finish, and very good substance in between. All right. Caitlin, give us the view from uh, the other side. Well, it was a really interesting pivot that I think we all saw on Tuesday night. We went from, you know, the last administration, MAGA, make America great again, to now the Biden administration's pivot. I think it was 
BABA, Build America. I, now I'm missing the acronym that, that they're pivoting to. It's not Build Back Better, but it's Build, build America Back Again. Thank you. Build not America Baba Booey, right? From MAGA to <laughs> BABA. Baba. Um, look, he said a lot of things. He pivoted on a lot of issues. Border security uh, got, got a, a good mention in, in his speech, um, you know, America for build, build America, America first. It was a really interesting pivot that the president took. I thought it was a really strong beginning. Um, he came out strong against Ukraine. It was a really great bipartisan moment in the chamber. Got a big standing ovation coming out of the gate from both sides of the aisle. I think he projected strength. I think the middle was a little meandering with some of the, uh, it was like he was throwing the kitchen sink at every issue area and every kind of name checking every priority in his agenda. Then he pivoted to some middle of the road, moderate, fund the police instead of defund the police, border security and immigration reform, protecting dreamers. And then I think he projected some strength at the end. It was, look, I give him a seven. I had very low expectations coming out of a rough couple of weeks from this administration. And I actually would give him a seven out of 10. The thing is, I guess the way I look at it is part of what I look for in one of these speeches is a great speech. And I think if you read the speech, Mark, on paper, it's a great speech. But to hear the speech, to me, it wasn't a great speech because he's not a great speaker. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't I wasn't personally thrilled. But what's your take? I think it was good, not great. I agree with actually everything everybody has said so far. I, I think it began strong. It ended strong. I think the middle was a, a victim of the tradition of laundry listing everything you can think of in a state of the union, which is unfortunate because even reading it, Howard, I don't know it would have been that thrilling in, in the middle sections. But Joe Biden is Joe from Scranton, Joe from Washington, not a great orator. And even though, Tristan, I, I certainly agree it was a presidential moment and, and he did rise to the occasion, I, I don't think, uh, to, to quote Patrick often on this podcast, it was not Lincoln's second inaugural address. I, I don't think it was a pivot. Uh, maybe on some policies, Caitlin, that's fair enough. He did pivot back towards the middle, but it wasn't a game changer. We're, we're where we were when the speech began politically. And unfortunately, world events, namely Ukraine, of course, just overtake anything anybody says at this point. So I, I personally would have liked a little bit more about why Ukraine matters so much to America. That that's I, I've been saying on this podcast for a year and a half, there's only one issue, COVID. Well, there are now two issues, uh, Ukraine being the other and, and the, the dominant one. And a little bit more of that would have been, I, I think, appropriate. Downer, weigh in. Yeah, I think, you know, it was very short on substance. Maybe that is the most presidential thing he could have done uh, is go up there and try to appeal to everybody and be absolutely devoid of any substance whatsoever. <laughs> the entire legislative agenda domestically that he mentioned is not getting done. Uh, on the international side, I agree completely with Mark that, you know, I I love the rah-rah. I love that we stand with the Ukrainians and I'll, I'll stand up there and both have, see both sides of the aisle clap all day long. But 
the only thing he announced was he was going to suspend over Russian overflights of the United States. I mean, there was no major policy provisions that came out of it. And now the administration is essentially getting dragged along by Congress and the Europeans. Last week's podcast, I came on and said, Biden's doing a great job. He's leading the Europeans. He's pushing the Europeans. Now, over the course of the past week, it feels like we, the Biden administration is the one that's getting dragged to policy provisions by Congress and by the Europeans. And, and I think that's an unfortunate flip. I'm not blaming Biden for it. I'm praising him for getting out in front of this as early as he did. But they need to keep the momentum up and make sure that, that the president of the United States of America is continuing to lead this, this charge in this coalition. So, but is that but is that our job though? Like it's it, he he started it and he engaged it and he pushed the Europeans to, to to movement. Is it okay for him to step back now? Like I don't think we have to be the police all the time. I think he he yeah. pushed him into a direction. He got him there, and now we can do it as a unified front. Well, my concern is that th- this is going to last a while. Tragically, it is going to be a, a long haul. And the attention span of the American people, we all know, is short and getting shorter. And I I think he needs to connect the importance of Ukraine to our national self-interest to sustain the support that he had uh, at the speech and, and that he will have for a little while, but but it'll fade if, if that connection doesn't get made. I, I'm not so much concerned about leading uh, from the front or or the rear as I am about bringing the American people along, because this is going to be hard and and it's not going to end anytime soon. Patrick, why isn't he getting more credit for what he has done? I mean, the polling has moved a little bit on his handling, but um, he's he's not getting, he's not getting a ton of credit for um, some of the, you know, leadership he showed in the early stages of the of the crisis. Yeah, I mean, I just think people are, first of all, at this point in a president's first term, particularly you have unified government under your control, you know, people start to get a little bit antsy. Uh, and the economic conditions, I think, are preventing him from seeing any type of bump. I just think it's a complicated world right now. Uh, there's foreign policy crisis in uh, Europe, and you have... Uh, you know, economic conditions that while, as the president pointed out in the State of the Union, uh, there's been some really historic positive economic movement overall, the way consumers are directly feeling the economy uh, at the gas pump and at the grocery store is just making it nearly impossible for him to trumpet uh, any of the economic success he's had. And COVID, while it seems to be retreating, one of the things I think that we, as we talk to people in our community, I think that's impacting him is, people are kind of skeptical that this is really the end. You know, they felt like it was the end before. And then another variant came. I think there's a little hesitancy among people as the masks are coming off and they're going back in, not to start living live normally again, but that are they just going to, is, is this kind of a fake out again? Are we going to have to eventually go back to that? And so I think that's keeping it from feeling like the pandemic is really moving to the next phase. And so that all of that is just uncertainty and it's not good for for his approval rating. Caitlin, um, why is he not getting? Why do you think he's not getting more credit? Well, because he doesn't deserve more credit. Um, <laughs> I would I, look. Things were a mess three weeks ago before this Ukraine situation, and I fear for 
you know, not just what what our what our country is in for, whether it's and, and Mark, you're exactly right about Americans, you know, needing to understand the impact. But I think that they're going to gas prices are, which were already a problem before Ukraine and the invasion, are now through the roof. I drove by a gas station yesterday, and just in the two hours of driving back by, gas prices there had built up. Gas Guys, you, just, you have to just do what my mother-in-law sense. said. You fill up when the tank when the tank is half empty, so the that's price what I is did yesterday. Left. That's that's apparently the whole way you fix uh, yeah. or, stickers. Or stacking. you buy a Tesla. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> there we the, go. The, the the point is, we've got a, we've we've got a long road ahead of us. We've got a lot of challenges. I think Patrick's also right to the point about COVID. I it feels like this administration got some really bad midterm poll numbers and then decided the hell with it on COVID. They've been saying what a lot of Republican red state governors have been saying for months now. We've got to learn to live with this thing. And it just feels disingenuous. Everything right now feels disingenuous. I want to rally behind the president. He's the president of the United States. I want us to lead from the front. I come from more of a neoconservative background, and I believe we should, as a nation, be doing more to prevent these types of attacks and to promote democracy and support a critical democracy that is absolutely in our interest in that region. And I mean, it's just disingenuous to think that now his poll numbers would somehow tick up in the midst of all of this crisis. Are things that bad, though? Are things that bad, though? Like, are are they that much of a mess? We added pretty damn bad. Seven hundred thousand new jobs in February. Um, Covid's on the decline. Like, we're all going out again. I mean, yes, we're scared that it'll come back, and the unknown, the fear of the unknown, is is out there. But it's it's a lot better than it was a couple of months ago. If you want a job, you can get a job. Um. The, there's a burden. But if you want a worker, can you get a worker? No, but honestly, I think part of that goes to uh, things like immigration, Caitlin. We're um, we don't have enough of an immigration path into the United States, and as a result, we we lack workers, and that's coming home to roost. Um, no, I mean there's absolutely a labor shortage and a supply chain issue, a labor supply chain issue. But we added seven hundred thousand new jobs, and I mean that's like that's very positive news. So, and, and gas prices are up. But I can remember being in government fifteen years ago talking about the price of a barrel of oil being too high and and higher than it is today. So. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, well, it's a, it's a muddled I, I picture. You're, you're, it's a complicated picture. I think there was good economic news undeniably this morning, surprisingly good actually, and digging into the report even a little more, a lot of jobs added, unemployment down, wages not up significantly in this particular period. But I think it's about something we've talked about a lot here, which is leadership and confidence. I just do not think there is a confidence in the American people that the future is going to be okay. The president told us it would be. We all want to believe that. We're we're all on this screen rooting for him. But there's so much uncertainty. Ukraine is an extraordinary uncertainty with a nuclear overlay. Inflation is an uncertainty. COVID is an uncertainty. I think it's more a, a matter of attitude than data at this point. 
I think we also on this call, like this group, uh, any of us as we're talking about this, this is where inflation hits people differently. Like right. to all the, uh, the economic news in the abstract is positive, but most Americans live on a fixed income and they feel that they feel that in a way that frankly, none of us really probably do. And so it's just that that's the part, like when you watch like your local news station, whatever community you live in and you have someone that's like at the grocery store with the news anchor and they're going, it, it's stunning to me what this is doing to people's month to month lives. Yeah. And I think that that as a political well, matter, that's why the president can't get the economic news to rest, the positive economic news to, to resonate. But the half of the country that is invested in the markets is also suffering from this. The great news this morning drove the uh, Dow futures down 300 points. So it, it it's the I, I just believe it's the uncertainty. And I don't know how the president stands up there and, and inspires confidence with with so many questions about the future. But that's his job, as Tristan started out saying. And and I think he I think he's trying. He gets he gets points for effort at least. I mean it's pretty stunning to me how effective I didn't I didn't I didn't fully grasp what he was doing when he was like they were constantly trying to front run Putin on the news and kind of call call him out. Um, stay one step ahead of him, put the intelligence out there. I think in retrospect, they did a very good job in the run up to this thing. And the, I mean, the world is basically canceling Russia right now. It's like, we talk about the canceled culture, but like, that's what's effectively happening culturally is the world is canceling Russia. Yeah. Can we also, there's a really interesting thing we have not talked about in this podcast yet too, on, on this exact topic, which is there, there, Mark kind of alluded to, there feels like there's like a, a kind of a crisis of conference confidence, a leadership void. I don't spend a ton of time on social media and I'm off actually now for Lent, but something I've seen over the last couple of weeks, the, there is a president that is being lauded by everyone all over the place right now in a very powerful way. President Zelensky, like what, what we're seeing in Ukraine, his speak, his speeches he's given, how he is standing up for his country in a moment of crisis. I haven't seen anyone, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, that isn't like very moved by what he's trying to do. And you can't compare that to our president. It's not a fair comparison. But it's just a, it's been an interesting kind of uniting thing. I'd just be curious to hear what other people think, because I've just noticed that he's becoming like a worldwide phenomenon. And it's kind of it's it's just interesting. I'm curious to talk about the fact that you gave up social media for Lent. Right. Like last year you gave up going. last year you gave up alcohol, I think. This year you gave up social media. Like is giving up social media for Lent, does that, Patrick, does that even count? I mean, it's <laughs> not a sacrifice. Yeah, What's Guys, I mean, position on that? you know, I love LinkedIn. That's going to be a real setback for me for the next for the next couple months. So it's just, you know, it's you just do you do love LinkedIn, Patrick. We can all <laughs> attest to that. Downer, would you agree with that? 
I do agree with that. And I agree that he's probably the only person that assumes LinkedIn is what we were talking about when we talk about giving up <laughs> social, social media. <laughs> for him, I just way. assumed LinkedIn didn't count. I thought you were talking like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. I mean, most of the social media that most people would give up, I don't even have. I don't have I mean, Twitter or Snapchat. The question is, did you give up getting an award for yeah, Lynn? Patrick, you're, you're still on email, right? So you'll learn of your awards through the email? Totally. I'll send you screenshots of the important tweets you need, Patrick. Don't I'm giving worry. it all up. I mean, Patrick, you made a very eloquent point, very articulate point about President Zelensky, but there was no way we were letting that go, <laughs> just to be clear. Not at all. I love it. By the way, as a firm, uh, we have a position where you should be on LinkedIn, giving up Facebook and Twitter instead, but oh, stay that's a on good. LinkedIn yeah. from a firm perspective. During to, to your point about <laughs> President Zelensky, though, if I if I may return. Bring it back, Mark. Bring it back to seriousness. Yeah, I need to be yeah. bailed out here, guys. So. I'm bailing out, Patrick. Uh, absolutely inspiring. Uh, if uh, Really interesting uh, to, to watch. And who who knew that this guy had it in him? I don't think the Ukrainian people knew that he had it in him. His resume as a comedian certainly didn't suggest he did. The, the difficulty, of course, is that there's no happy ending. No. That, that is the tragedy for President Zelensky. He he is having a moment and and inspiringly so and and courageously so. But history is not going to remember his his courage and, and his oratory as having changed anything. Well, it should not change anything, but Mark, don't, how it's gonna end, to your point reports this morning, three assassination attempts. I mean, you don't it's like not something you want to say, but don't you think history, I mean, if he if he ultimately doesn't survive this, I think history will remember him as someone who stood up for his country in a moment of, of, of just total peril. I, I don't know. I'm right. just curious. What do you think? How do you think the look back? Well, his, he isn't going to be remembered as Churchill because he isn't going to win. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. But, but, I'm, but Mark, think about the psyche of all. This is the first time we're watching these invasions in real time. They've got CNN reporters on the ground. All of Amer all of the world is attuned to what's happening. And I think there's going to be a massive, I mean, there already is a massive outcry, but we're invested. And I don't know how, you know, I understand looking historically at, at warfare, but I don't know how we and our psyche can can kind of handle this and, and watch this unfold and not feel compelled to do something. I, He's a young, I, charismatic leader with a family that has yeah. like captured the imagination and attention of the world. And if he's assassinated by the Kremlin, it, I think there's going to be, I don't know what happens next, but I think there's going to be international outrage that I don't think we can anticipate yet. The, Tristan, jump in. I mean, the the I'm what I'm worried about is, I mean, we are tightening the noose directly and indirectly from an economic point of view at, around Putin's neck. And like, it, it just feels like we're, I mean, we are poking hard and it, it, in a lot of ways, it almost feels like the world is at war, Tristan, against Putin. Um, we, we are definitely at war with Putin, and he knows it, and he's backed into a corner. And 
he is going to do what he's used to doing, and that's being a spy. And he's going to um, use every tool at his arsenal, which is why I think uh, President Biden should do the same thing. Um, I, I simply agree that we should shut down oil when it comes to Russia. He should put more financial sanctions. He should squeeze everything possible because that's what Putin is going to do. He is ruthless and we have to be equally as ruthless. And it's going to require a united front from the world, NATO specific, um, to put him in a place where he feels like he can't achieve what he wants because he's been able to walk into everything he's, he's ever gotten. He's a very wealthy man. Um, he's a very popular man when it comes to, to oligarchs. And I think that whatever he says goes in Russia. And so we have to be united. So, yeah, it, it, it ultimately is the world against Putin. Yeah, and, and, and he frankly, moved his yacht to the Maldives. <laughs> so it's safe from, you know, seizure and, and you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so, this is so screwed up. But it's, it's amazing. I mean... The, the campaign, the orchestrated campaign to uh, take the assets yeah. from the oligarchs. I mean, just everything. It's it's stunning to me how and like to see it all playing out. Patrick, you're not getting it. Um, but to see it all play out on social media, the rest of us are seeing it. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'll stop. Be, I'll stop well, beating that. Keep me updated. Look at Switzerland. That is an historic an historic development. I, I just don't know, Tristan, though, where it goes. Ruthless has to match ruthless, but a no-fly zone, which President Zelensky is pleading for, puts NATO troops in combat with Russian troops, which is an escalation that that is a little scary. Yeah. The end game is they, so... They- is so unclear is is the the problem here. To Tristan's description about Putin, to the Putin Zelensky contrast is is definitely playing. I mean, you have this just old you know KBG spy hold up in the Kremlin, and you have this young gifted leader who is just begging and pleading to anyone who will listen for his country and for his people. And it's just there's just such a a contrast that I I just. I think it's been very moving to people all over the world. The the challenge, maybe Professor French can help us here, but what history teaches is that wars spread. It's easier to start a war than end a war. Wars spread. You look at August of 1914 and what came of of that. what we need is October of 1962 instead of August of 1914. How do we get that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I just don't, I, I just don't know which it is. No, yeah, this is this has escalated quickly, and we're running out of options to to use at our disposal. The EU's disposal, the United States' disposal um, to use, unless it is troops. I mean, we, I think a week ago. We were saying that swift banking was off the table. There was no way we were going to do that. We were saying that, no, we probably wouldn't do massive weapon shipments to Ukraine. I think I said on the podcast we should move a bunch of troops into Poland. I still think we should do that. But obviously, it puts us closer to contact. And, you know, we're running out of options and the Ukrainians are hanging on. And there's going to be more and more demand uh, to get thoroughly involved 
from a EU-US side in this conflict, uh, and it's being driven by by citizens. It's not necessarily being driven by governments who have who have put very clear red lines sort of on the table saying, we will not do this. And then they've done it. We're not going to do SWIFT. And then they did it. We're not going to you know, shut down Nord Stream 2. And then it was done. Uh, there's a lot of red lines that have that have been crossed on things we wouldn't do. Um, but we're quickly getting to a point where there's very few options that don't involve military forces coming in close contact with Russians. Look, if he goes across the border, like we said last week, yeah. we're at war. We're at war. Um, but we could be at war and him not come across the border if this if the Ukrainians hold out for another three to four weeks, to be honest with you. I mean, or he could do something like a cyber attack or yeah. something that draws us in. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's frightening for sure. Um, it's frightening for sure. It's it, but it does feel like it's it's just very interesting to me. Like he's got his land grab going, but the hearts and minds to what all of you were saying, they're like playing out on on television. There's this. It's like it feels like there's an information war, and there's a physical war, and in in a way that we've never seen before. And it's kind of like. Um, you know, you, I mean, we've seen more in the, I don't want to analogize what we do for a living to war, but it's like, we see the, the power of information, the power of a, of a, of a internet based campaign, the power of social media, the power of using these tools to influence people. It, it, it's just, this is different. This, there's, this is, this is very different, Mark. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's not 2000. It's not 1980. It's certainly not 1940. It's, it's, it's a lot different than anything we've seen before. And I don't think we know what to expect. Yeah. It it is all of the above. It's unprecedented and unpredictable. And I think back to some of the earlier discussion, I just think there is an edginess in the country that is, um, that is a real impediment for President Biden pushing those those numbers. People are are just uncertain. Can we also, as we're Patrick, talking about, yeah. none of us knows what's going to happen next. Going back to you know ancient Greece, martyrdom is very powerful. I think it is it is something that uh, moves people. Uh, and moves governments to make decisions that they they wouldn't maybe have made otherwise. And we don't know the fate of of the Ukrainian president, but I just think that he is going to become a symbol. 99 out, out of 100 other people would have gotten the heck out of there already by now. I mean, they're just, we can point to countless examples over the last half century of people escaping, you know, through caves and tunnels and Tired getting out. Afghan government. Get, yeah, when things get really bad. And I think that's, to me, that's the real differentiator in terms of how the world is going to decide what happens next. I go in a different direction. Why does nothing move the needle domestically? Like why, no matter what happens in the world, Congress's approval ratings don't change. It doesn't seem like 
regardless, it seems like regardless of who is president, either party, the president's approval and disapproval ratings don't change. Caitlin, like, why is it that, why is it that we're so stuck domestically? You've got these massive and major world events. I don't think that's like a COVID, just a COVID phenomenon or an economic phenomenon. It's, why is it? Well, I, I sort of tend to disagree with you a little bit there, Howard. Okay. We Push saw back. after 9-11, we as a country have the capacity to rally around each other and around the flag and around our security after, you know, major events like 9-11. Um, I think, you know, we saw this push about banning Russian gas imports. The White House is really kind of trying to stay firm on that. But Speaker Pelosi is joining the chorus with several Republicans on Capitol Hill saying, I agree, we should ban Russian oil imports. I think we're seeing a level of bipartisanship because this is a critical external issue that everyone, R or D, is heartbroken about and and extremely focused on. So I, I do think we're going to see some bipartisan actions. And I, I'm proud to see those moments where we can come together on these issues. There's a lot of people in my in, in, in my orbit who have no idea where the Ukraine is, um, but their student loans are set to be due in a couple of months. Gas prices are, hard, are horrible. Housing is ridiculous. They can't get a couch still. Um, you know, they're still dealing with COVID issues. But again, we're talking about Ukraine. So I think, you know, a lot of times international affairs doesn't correlate to domestic affairs because it doesn't impact them. You know, why, why are we sending folks over to Ukraine when I'm dealing with issues right here at my kitchen table every single day? And I think that's where the disconnect is. And that's why Congress has to address both those things. The president has to address both those things. And I think that that's the real reason why um, the it, international affairs doesn't move neither because it doesn't impact people who like my neighbor who's been waiting for a water heater for three for three almost three years now. <laughs> so it's a problem. Howard, my answer directly to your question: Why on the domestic side? Why does approval ratings of Congress, President, everything continue to be, you know, in the toilet? We increasingly over the last you know several decades are acting like we have a parliamentary system of government when we don't. We are a system of checks and balances. And the, the that phenomenon, Republican versus Democrat in every single way possible, just continues to paralyze us in a system that was set up for a whole different level of compromise than what we're you know, currently able to do within the system right now. You combine that with politicians that are increasingly, because of primaries, catering to the most polarized sections of the American electorate, and you just have a plurality of the country that is always dissatisfied. Sad because I feel like if people could see what we see every day, um, they'd be less cynical in in a way, I think, because like if they could have a real conversation instead of the MSNBC or Fox News conversation with a member of Congress and see what they actually think and see that they, sure, they disagree about a, a ton and they should, that's healthy. A disagreement is healthy, um, but they work together more than meets the eye. It's not for the most part, R's versus D's. It's about my state or my district. And you can have a, 
a Democratic and a Republican senator coming from a single state. They work together all the time, Towner. So, I mean, it's it's not what meets the eye. And it's just to me, it's just sad that people don't have a real sense of of what's going on. People don't have a trust in institutions anymore. And we've talked about it on this podcast over and over again. Uh, People don't people don't like you know, bodies that, uh, that they can't readily identify. People hate the NFL, but they love their NFL team. For example, uh, they hate Congress, but they may, they keep voting in their member of Congress, for example, and they, they like their member of Congress. So, you know, and, and the presidency, uh, unfortunately is, is similar insofar as, uh, it is sometimes bigger than, than the one man, uh, and people don't like the institution of the government. I blame it all on Nixon, but, you know, cause that's when really that slide started occurring a little bit more. Um, but both parties have, have contributed to it over the years. And, uh, we've done a very poor job of respecting the institutions that were once highly respected, uh, not only here by our own people, uh, but around the globe. Yeah. I think you may have said the operative word one man, um, Maybe, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Maybe it's about time we put a woman in the White House. Maybe that would change things a little bit, Caitlin. Is that that your endorsement of Vice President Harris? uh, No, it is not. (laughs) It's not. Well, and to Towner's point, even just looking at the decorum at the State of the Union, which we were talking about earlier, and how, you know, it's the erosion of respect started with Joe Wilson during the Obama year screaming, you lie. Speaker Pelosi ripped the speech up behind Donald Trump last year, his last State of the Union in office. Now we've got some, you know, airhead Republican members yelling ridiculous things on the floor. It's the president of the United States and the state of the union. And the decorum that used to exist just doesn't, it's sad, frankly. Yeah. And you're you're right to point out, I was thinking about this and I didn't get a chance to comment on the state of the union really, but I, Caitlin, your point is exactly right. And that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and whatever the member's name from Colorado Lauren is, they're Bobart. just, they're, they're, Total knuckleheads. They're irrelevant. Know, but they but that they do not they do not uh represent full Republican caucus. I also got annoyed and I, I think uh on our little text during the State of the Union, the criticizing of Biden, you know, misspeaking or his stutter getting and Democrats did the same thing to President Bush. It, it was always like he's such an idiot, he doesn't know what he's saying. It's like I've complained about this on this podcast before, but like I am just so sick of that stuff. Like it, it is complete garbage. It's fine for cable news. It's not fine uh, for the rest of the country. And it's just, it, it stuff drives me crazy. Like people should know better. We're, a, you know, we're adults. <laughs> like It's just. But again, we view everything in this country right now from the lens of the baby boomer. And that is uh, partly the problem. That's the entire problem. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, things you were really bad in the Yeah, the baby boomer on the call. But yeah, things exactly were really bad in this country in the 1800s. They got better. Things can get better again. Uh, and, and you know, we can respect those institutions. It's all your fault, Mark. Couldn't agree more. Time for the baby boomers to exit stage left. Let the rest of you try to fix this thing. We've done enough damage. Speaking of baby boomers, Towner. There's a baby boomer 
in Durham. There it is. Disappearing from the scene. Give us your take on the evolution of Duke basketball and Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I mean, Start with where he's from, Connor. Start from the beginning. Well, did you hear the news this week? Uh, Duke has requested that their first round games be played in Chicago. Oh. As a result, not on the not in the East bracket, but in Chicago, uh, as an honor to Coach K, Weber uh, High School grad. Yep. Yeah. So you're going to have to put me up with a new baby. Uh, Come on for, in. Uh, We're gonna, it's going to be. No one's going to be sleeping. It's going to be crazy here anyway. So yeah. Tyler, I would not advise you <laughs> to go to the Martin household in a month. That's an awful idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. Sleep in the office, Towner. It's comfy. Yep. Come on down. Well, I was saying that Stuart and I and, and others in the office should have a special podcast uh, in honor of Coach K at some point. Uh, I think we should take a week just to talk about Coach K. But it it is amazing. Connor, I am definitely supportive of you and Stuart having a podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll listen to Stuart for an hour. How many, Howard, how many listeners would that podcast get? I uh a lot in the Shorenstein household, for sure. Yeah, you might get eight, nine listeners. You can, you can approach double digits. Now, what I a think, what a historic career! Yeah. I mean, and what a what yeah, a great American class act. Yeah. You talk about decorum. You talk about institutions. You talk about American values. This is a great American. Whether you love or hate Duke basketball as yep. a fan. It's a great American, and the world is better off for Coach K. What's not to love from a basketball point of view? You can be a Duke fan or not. I've always been a Duke fan, but, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, like, look at the record. It's amazing. Our town are my favorite word, character. Like, he's just a man of character. Yeah. And awesome. There's a couple things I'll say. The first is, you know, he should have been fired after his third season. And, uh, you know, in today's basketball, he would have been fired easily after his second season, probably not even made it to his third. Um, and and I think we have to have a little bit more faith and growth uh, of our of our coaches right now that if they're not winning instantly, then they're immediately gone. We see that a lot in football, obviously, but also in college basketball and and professional basketball. Um, And so that's number one. So Coach K's story almost never got told uh, because he should have been gone if he was coaching today uh, and starting out. Uh, Number two is, you know, Look, and Mark and I have been watching this history of the ACC tournament uh, on it, which is fascinating. It's phenomenal. Um, But, you know, talking about uh, some of the great leaders to come up and, and, you know, we talk about uh, West Point and creating leaders and the military um, and and those leaders uh, take roles in all different sectors of our of our society. And uh, and I think Coach K is a, a fantastic example of how you can be a leader as a coach. Uh, not necessarily in the military. I sh- Coach K would have been great going into government, I'm sure, and been a leader in that role. Uh, and so, you know, this is this is what we should continue to do is seek out leaders in our society. Well, that's a good note to end on. Uh, I think it brings it all back together, perhaps. Although, Howard, before we leave, we have to wish Caitlin the best of luck with her big weekend move across the river. This is a, a Saturday for Caitlin Martin, and we're all rooting for her to get all her boxes there. 
Absolutely. Going to Glen Youngkins, Virginia. Thanks, Mark. Nar- narrowing the registration gap, the Commonwealth <laughs> just got a new Republican voter. I'm going to commission the painting, Caitlin crossing the Potomac. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. And uh, Patrick, best of luck as you enter the next phase of your family. And we will be back next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.